booking the territory as we continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Bill Watts setting a new record low. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who became a legend in his own time in the world of professional wrestling, the Oklahoma Stampeder Cowboy Bill Watts. How far can it go? How low can you go? We all love our dad and we don't want him to get hurt. But if he knows he can handle the situation, then we're behind him 100%. They're whipping the cowboy with that chain! I've always stood for what I've believed in. It may not sometimes be the most popular. I'll tell you what I think of you, Bill Watts. I think you're a washed-up cowboy. I listen to the fans, and I read the fan mail, and I try to gauge the reaction. Watts bleeding from the mouth. And I've often said when people ask me about wrestling, that there's no magic wand. Who made you the boss? You come out here, you criticize me, you criticize other people, but you take up for Bill Watts. Fun times, eh? Record low. Dan, uh, how have you been since the last episode? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. S- stretched a wee bit thin. Families had, uh, my brother's family's had uh, had COVID, so I've been uh, Tesco delivery driver, Deliveroo, not on a motorbike. And uh, yeah, just a taxi driver all sort of rolled into one, but it just needs to be done, doesn't it? I'm all right. How have you been, pal? I've been fine. I'm surprised you've been allowed to be the delivery for the family. I thought I thought you barred from that service. <laughs> well, unofficial, we'll call it. It was. Uh, I'm uh, I'm food hub. Only ones that'll have me. So, have you, have you watched any wrestling since the last episode? You know, for well, I have. We watched in your house uh, together <laughs> after a few beverages. Yeah, it was it was a plot to get you. We're talking about that. Maybe it's a test to see how much you can remember after uh, several pints. I'm not sure how. <laughs> How far we were in, I just know it was several. Uh, several, I enjoyed the show, I remember that much. Even with the uh, the convoluted main event, it was it was enjoyable enough. Uh, coming off the go-home, which we talked about last time, which actually exceeded a lot of my expectations. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, it was, it, I can't remember much specifically, because it's been, uh, it's, it's sort of in real time, it's been a few weeks, and as you say, I was uh, slightly intoxicated. But I think you'll remember more than I do. Well, I certainly remember the British Bulldog Bam Bam Bigelow match. I thought that was excellent. I'd completely forgotten that match was on the card, but yeah, it was. Now that you say it, it really was. Thing thing is, Rob, I can watch something and be absolutely blown away by it. Say I'm watching a weekly TV. I can watch something and be totally blown away by it. Three days later, it's completely gone from my memory. I've got a memory like bloody Swiss cheese. No, I'm the same. Perhaps one of the reasons I remember the Bam Bam Bigelow match was that they'd put so little effort into promoting it before and we'd commented on it so i was kind of looking out for it yeah very true yeah i was glad to see bulldog getting a uh, getting a look in but i think that was the sort of the start of a bit of a push for him around that time wasn't it as we'll uh, we'll get into later yeah well he worked double duty that night and we'll cover that uh, a bit later on when we get into the start of this episode but before we do that what are you drinking this evening dan I'm actually on a, a one that's new to me. I've only had one mouth of it so far, a mouthful of it so far. It's Thunder Truck, Modern Pale Ale from Brew York. One of my trusted breweries, been local to me. And it's not our bad. Pale ales, I'll be honest, aren't usually my thing, as you know. I prefer I'm much more of a much more of a stout person, both physically and uh, in my beer taste. But, yeah, it's not half bad. It's um, a bit intense for me. Very hoppy, but I've paid for it, so I'm drinking it. Well, you might as well if you've paid for it. You don't want to leave it. What do you want, pal? I'm on a Siren Midnight Stack Nitro Maple Pancake Milk Stout. I probably should have about... saved this when we were off uh, on the WCW episode, shouldn't I? <laughs> you maybe should have. I'm pretty sure I've had that one, and if I remember rightly, it is bloody tasty. I've actually given it a five, and you know how rare I give anything a five on Untapped. Okay, folks, check your windows. Actually, by the time you by the time you're listening to this, there probably will be the other three horsemen of the apocalypse along. Rob's given a five. 
it's very rare that happens. Very rare that happens, and it's oh. often scout that does get a five. I'm proud um, of you. Yeah, it's a decent one. I was actually worried when I opened it. I thought, is this the one that you had uh, last week? Because uh, that was a siren beer, if I remember rightly. But no, it wasn't that one. If if it was that one, I'd have been uh, I'd have been too busy uh, having a, having a mouthgasm to well, <laughs> to talk about any wrestling. You didn't untap it. I got in there before you, but unfortunately, it wasn't untapped. Whack. Uh, Dan and I are trying to find beers that no one else has uh, checked into untapped. I think I've, I think I've got the only one between us so far, haven't I? Or is it? Uh, I think you do. Yeah, uh, I had one that was the third person to untap, but that's as close as I've got. I've got in top five a few times. Uh, mm. It's like hitting the post in football, though, isn't it? It's it's still yeah. a myth. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bring, you're gonna have to develop a stat sheet for this. So I've like the, I've like the untap whack, and then like two to ten, ten to twenty. Yeah, points-based system. I think I think I know about I know about I know about ten people who'd enjoy that, <laughs> and probably <laughs> want to get in on it. I'm a pisshead, mate. You know. Well, perhaps we should move on and give some recommendations for those ten people who may well be listening in the beer sommelier section, where the listener can sit back and be Carmella, or maybe even Sasha Banks. Who knows at this stage by the time the episode goes out. And we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a beer that you should drink while watching this episode of Monday Night Raw. So what have you gone for, Dan? To watch this episode of Monday Night Raw, the record low under Bill Watts, just my own my advice is just pick something you really enjoy. So for me, it'd be a Northern Monk uh, Stars and Stripes peanut butter and jelly stout, one of my favourite beers, because then I can associate this episode with something I know I like. And it's something that actually gives me enjoyment because I didn't find much of it in this episode, to be honest. Oh, what, about you? what about you, Rob? I was going to say it's a fine beer, uh, Stars and Stripes, isn't it? I remember coming round to your house and swapping you some for that uh, god awful bridge house landlady. I did kind of get fucked over by that, didn't I? <laughs> that, had, that had been in your boot for about three weeks and just got angrier and angrier to the point the beer had. I think there was so much, so much sort of fermentation going on that the box had started to uh, started to curve. Yeah, it, it it didn't help. It was the hottest day of the year, either, did it? Not particularly. That it that was that was a rough get. That was rough going. I'm surprised I got through as much of it as I did. <laughs> um, so my selection is uh, Beaver Town's Neck Oil, which I've given a three point uh, sorry a three to on Untapped. Uh, it's Fair. a session IPA at four point three percent, and the reason I've given it is uh, Neck Oil's that type of beer that you always find in pubs where you don't expect them to have per se, a craft beer or whatever. It's always a nice surprise. <laughs> it's not the greatest, but it's better than, you know, the Fosters or John Smiths that you're expecting. So I thought that was kind of a good metaphor for this show. But, uh, so so what, you're saying is this, what you're saying is this show is better than drinking piss? It's better than I expected. Really? Yes, yeah, I, I think this mm. show was better than I expected. I mean, obviously, we'll um, cover um, the reviews at the end. Maybe I went into it with low expectations, as uh, sometimes I go into pubs with low expectations, but sometimes, in the corner, they've got a neck oil by Beavertown. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I actually watched, I actually watched this show drinking, um, uh, drinking a Czech lager. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce the make. I think it's uh, Chikov. They're drinking a Chikov premium lager. And it so it's branded itself as something premium and to be a pre, and to be you know cherished and appreciated and it was just a bit crap which also for me works as a metaphor for this show. <laughs> did did you have a did you have a beer or anything when, when watching it watching the show itself? 
I probably did. I can't remember what I did. Maybe I should keep a record of what I'm drinking when I'm watching, but uh, letting the I only, I, only, I only noted this down after because I was like, I'm, this is two for two now. I've been drinking a beer that's sort of reflected the state of the show, <laughs> at least in my eyes anyway. Yeah, you're affecting it. That's the problem. It's uh, like Schrodinger. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be... <laughs> Schrodinger's twat. I'll be honest. I went into this. I went into watching this just a little bit grumpy. So <laughs> maybe that had uh, maybe that had something to do with it. Disclaimer for uh, for everything I say later on. I was already quite annoyed. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we'll find we'll find out. We'll find out in a moment. But the mention of Czech lager brings us very nicely onto Beth's beer of the week. And Beth's beer of the week is Budweiser, but not that American shite. So Beth's gone there with Budweiser, but the Czech Budweiser by uh, Wojcicki Budvar. And uh, she's actually given that five on Untapped. Nobody's uh, gonna, be- nobody's gonna believe that we didn't coordinate that. We didn't. We actually, we actually really didn't. <laughs> none, none, of the, none of the three of us coordinated that. It, it's a beer that I gave two and a half to. So, although I'm not as big a fan of the hoppy beers as um, she is, so no, me neither. I think two, I think two and a half to three tops is about right for Budvar. But three's got to be really good Budvar, and probably on a, like a hot day when you're really in the mood for it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there on that one, but, you know, Beth likes a Czech lager, so... She does. She does. She's keeping the uh, Eastern European brewing industry alive, so uh, at least that's something. She's keeping, keeping uh, exports going after, uh, imports going after Brexit. So the next section of the show, we're going to have a quick think about why Vince McMahon stepped down in his role of head of creative. So you'd seen the last episode... Dan, do you think there was anything from the show that might have persuaded him to uh, take a step back and try and uh, do a bit more executive functions? Or I think the amount of cocaine he was doing to keep up that pace on commentary was affecting his heart and he stood down for medical reasons. <laughs> he was doing a hell of a lot on these shows, wasn't he? Uh, consider it, I mean, we talk about the head of creative position, but below that sort of head of creative, they would have you know a meeting with several people in the room sort of thing at any given time depending on who that team is so he, he would still be involved in those conversations even when he's not head of creative so he, even in later weeks he's doing the commentary he's running the company he's doing all those executive functions he's sitting in you know in the background maybe he's saying a lot maybe he's not saying so much but he's got his finger in pretty much every pie yeah he's, he's already micromanaging and i think Taking that step back and having um, a head of creative, somebody with sort of Bill Watts's reputation, maybe not in the years, you know, maybe not in the few years preceding this, but certainly going back into the late 70s, early 80s, Watts had that reputation, sort of delegating that, but still having everything come through him was a way to take something off his plate, but not be completely out of the loop. If you see what I mean, because, you know, I think for everything you sort of hear, Vince does like to micromanage at least on some of them. But also one thing that I noticed, I think it was in either in this episode or on next week's that we're going to cover, there was a, um, and actually in your house uh, three as well, there was more like active shilling of merchandise on the show. So I do wonder if Vince had sort of maybe moved over to the merchandising side of things and thought, how can we get this into the show and was taking a more active role in that section. So it was sort of stepping back from one area to move into another. Just a yeah. thought, I've, I've, I've got nothing to prove that but it's, no, they, it was just very noticeable. There definitely seemed to be corporate sponsorship and merchandising within the shows, as we discussed last week, uh, with his great milk sponsorship deal that he got. So <laughs> it, 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 was, it was clearly uh, it was clearly working it, and there's some other interesting ones coming up in future episodes. 
So obviously, as Stan said there, uh, Bill Watts is the guy that he brings in. But before he brings him in, presumably he's going to log into LinkedIn and have a quick look at uh, Bill Watts' career and see what's uh, the reason he should uh, appoint him. So we've just had a sneak peek at some of the highlights that Bill Watts probably had on his CV back in uh, 1995. So uh, I'll just go through these, Dan, and you can comment if you think this is a, a plus or a minus or any, any reason around them. So as a wrestler, he challenged for WWF, AWA, All Japan and NWA championships. Very solid. Very, very solid. That put him, to be honest, that put just challenging alone puts him, puts him in sort of the one of the upper echelons, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good start, definitely. He'd been the head booker of Mid South slash UWF. Yeah, and actually, I was looking into this a little bit. He's uh, Bill Watson in a lot of circles. He's credited with uh, through his time in uh, Mid South and UWF, uh, credited with pre- sort of pioneering the episodic uh, presentation of wrestling. Which Vince has got a weekly show. Bill Watts is the pioneer of weekly re- episodic wrestling. On paper, that's a match made in heaven. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That that's probably the main reason he brought him in. Another thing that he did, he pushed a lot of talent that went on to have good careers. So the Junkyard Dog, Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Midnight Express. Yeah, and you look, and all, all of those guys ended up sometime or another in uh, in WWE. So Vince knows what Vince knows that Bill has an eye for talent. He knows what he knows that Bill knows what he wants in the ring. So it, on paper, it, it looks a really, really solid appointment. And then you know. You, the well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but the uh, WCW stint's a bit of a sort of bit of a taint on his record in a lot of circles. But I'm sure you're about to bring that up next. Well, just before that, I will say that he ended up selling the UWF to uh, Mid Atlantic, uh, part of Jim Crockett Promotions, after yeah. they lost half a million dollars in a year, which it doesn't sound like that much, but when it's in the early '80s, is a lot of money. Still a lot of money now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, lo- yeah, losing half a million at that point. That seemed it's a bit like a um, a Vern Gagne WA situation. Just you don't want to be losing that much money a week. You don't want to end up like Vern Gagne having to you know remortgage his house and put personal property up for sale and things like that. I think that was a case of Bill sort of seeing the writing on the wall that a lot of the territories were going under to Vince at that time, and Bill just seeing right, I've lost that, I've lost that amount of money. I'm throwing him with J- with Jim Crockett. Just get a shot of it. Don't risk your personal wealth any that he may have left and again it can be viewed as a smart business decision yeah and then he goes on to become executive vice president of wcw as you said but not before he turned it down he was offered the wcw book in 1989 and uh, initially turned it down so wcw went with the booking committee uh, i can't remember exactly who was on it but then three years later by 1992 watts was uh, like you say watts was in there not very popular by all accounts because he, uh, I think it was in Bischoff's book, Controversy Creates Cash. He was just saying, you know, Bill came in, he banned, move, banned moves off the top rope. Um, he brought in the old school baby face and heels, changing different locker rooms, not allowed to ride together. It was all concrete on the side of the rings and Bischoff accused him of wanting to take uh, wrestling back to uh, back to the territory days of dimly lit arenas and, uh, and rural house shows. So he was... Um, yeah, it just it was a case of the book not fitting the vision of the company. I think in WCW. Well, as well in WCW, he's actually got some executive functions as well. So it's not as if he's just in charge of the creative. So it's kind of interesting that Vince is putting him into that creative position, given that he's kind of moved on a little bit. So yes, he did have his finger in creative, and yes, he was doing creative 
for Mid South. But if Vince is looking to take work off his plate, then was this the right job to give him? I think that when you put it like that, it's questionable. But you know, when Crockett, when uh, Watts was uh, booking, like I said, when he was booking Mid South and UWF, he did fine. From the like, from didn't you say you know picking up uh, talent like Junkyard Dog and things like that? I think Vince at this point is struggling beyond Shawn Michaels. Really, he's struggling for big stars. You know, for to elevate people to that next level. Yokozuna by this point is not not quite a failed experiment, but he's not hit the heights. Diesel isn't really electrifying as champion. He's sort of riding Michaels' coattails. He was the Intercontinental Champion, I think. Is he IC Champion by this point? Yeah, he is because he, he was in the. Uh, he was IC champion at In Your House 3. Yeah, it just slipped my mind for a second. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's a case if he wants Watts to come in and see what Watts does to make uh, make the undercard and mid-card guys to advance them. Maybe that's it. Because, you know, well, yeah, maybe it's the eye for talent. That's all I can think, really. Yeah, quite possibly. So Bill Watts is given the job. He's introduced to the roster on the night of In Your House 3. But he only actually is in creative the next day. And that's when they're going to film four episodes of Raw. He's, uh, they're going to stay with the company for a few weeks after that. And obviously they're going to continue having creative meetings after that point to plan on for the future for the pay-per-views and the road to WrestleMania down the road. But in actual terms of creative, he was only there for one recording session. But in those later recording sessions, Bill Watts has this idea that he wants to get the editor of the magazine to sit in on the creative meetings with him and invites a young Vince Russo to come and sit at the back. Now, it's going to be quite a while before Vince Russo actually says anything in these meetings. And I bet it was bro. First word. First word is bro, definitely. Uh, It's like that Monty Python sketch where you get the guy who's desperate to be a Freemason and he's saying he's got his own apron and he'll just sit at the back and he won't say anything. So (laughs) I think that Bill Watts, yeah, uh, is credited with getting Vince Russo involved in what's going to turn into him later becoming the... uh, Head of creative for both WWF and WCW. So I'm I'm genuinely impressed, Rob. That like it's it's taken you until you know about ten minutes into the uh, the second episode to mention Russo. I thought you'd have been in there much quicker. I thought you'd have been in episode one. This episode, this, this is this whole podcast to prove that Rob's right about Russo. We're going to find out. And the thing is, you know, for all that, uh, I don't believe that. The ratings went down under Russo because they didn't, and the numbers show that. In terms of booking, I've always thought if, if you could have Jim Carnett and Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman and Vince Russo and combine them into one person, in theory, you should get the perfect head of creative. The problem is that none of them can get on with each other. <laughs> and, and we will probably see that when um, Bischoff and Russo get uh, the job jointly in WCW later down the line. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Going back to Watts, though, did you uh, see any of the uh, the issues that led to his his departure from WCW that weren't weren't wrestling related? Are we talking to a certain in- uh, incident from his office window by any chance? No, something that I read that I wasn't actually aware of. At some point, I think in the must have been in the late eighties. Uh, don't quote me on the timescale. Um, Bill Watts was a vocal supporter. Uh, of a, a Georgia restaurant owner um, closing his property, uh, closing his business down, rather than uh, rather than serving uh, African Americans. Wow! And very public, very vocal about it, saying that it's the shop owner's right and yada yada yada, which is just 
fucking nuts, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, so Russo, uh, sorry, Russo, Watts was very, um, very vocal about that. And then it came to light and was brought to the attention of Hank Aaron, a legendary African-American baseball player, but also a Turner executive. So it's unclear whether Watts jumped or was pushed and whether he departed before... Aaron, you know, before Hank Aaron had a chance to say, why the fuck have we got this? <laughs> why the fuck have we got this piece of shit in here? Or he, or he got fired because of that. And then there is the infamous piss story, which is also hilarious and actually has two uh, two different tellings as well that I've heard. If you believe the Bischoff story, it was a, it was a piss off um, uh, out of the window of a meeting with, other, with Turner executives because he was trying to get fired. Or if you believe Jim Ross, it was pissing off out of his 12th floor office window because he couldn't be asked to walk to the toilet. Those stories don't necessarily have to be uh, mutually exclusive. They could have been a meeting <laughs> in the office. <laughs> it could have been two separate piss incidents. It, it sounds like a logic puzzle to me, that one. <laughs> so, yeah, um, a few more layers to the uh, uh, to the what's leaving WCW story, really. And uh, not very one not very pleasant one. He sounds like an absolute cowboy, just not the kind that uh, corral sheep, sheep, horses. Fuck it, you were doing so well as well. I was just about to bollock you for a shit pun, and then you just made it into a nonsensical one. <laughs> he sounds like an absolute cowboy, just not the type that corral horses. There you go, the magic of editing. Anyway. <laughs> Please leave that in. <laughs> So, in terms of the ratings, Bill Watts' first episode was on the 25th of September 1995. As we said at the start, it's a new record low for Monday Night Raw. It's 1.9. He's there for four episodes in total, so he goes 1.9, 2.5, 2.6, and 2.6. So, in the next episode, we'll look at his final episode. Admittedly, there's two episodes at 2.6, but it kind of bookends things nicely if we look at the first and the last. Admittedly only there for four episodes, but he's got an average of 2.4. That compares to Vince McMahon, who had an average of 2.6. And it compares to Bruce Pritchard, who's going to come along and replace him with an average of 2.46. So marginally above, although you could say that under Bill Watts, the trend was only ever going up. So that's where we sit in terms of the ratings. In terms of the show, as we said, this was the... First bit of a TV taping for four episodes of Raw. There were first three matches of 13. It was the Welsh Auditorium in Grand Rapids, and there were 1,500 people there. Um, that was 100 people less than the previous tapings that they'd done, although that could be to do with the capacity of the arena. So we opened the show, and it's highlights from the tag team title slash world title slash intercontinental championship match at in your house three where all the championships are on the line and then it's showing jim Cornette with his lawyer clarence mason petitioning president gorilla monsoon to get the decision of the match reversed gorilla says that diesel and sean are going to be stripped of the belts and yoko and owen are going to be reinstated as tag team champions because in the event owen hart was late so he was replaced with the british bulldog then later in the match owen hart comes back he actually ends up taking the pin and they're using the legal arguments that he wasn't a tag team champion at the time because Gorilla Monsoon had substituted in the British Bulldog. But Gorilla Monsoon says that he's ordering there will be a future rematch and the belts are going to be defended tonight. And Cornet pulls his classic verse. <laughs> yeah, this opening segment, 
I enjoyed watching In Your House three. As I say, I was I was shit faced. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was I was probably four sheets to the wind rather than the usual three. The thing is, it highlighted just how convoluted the finish of that pay per view was. To have you know Owen running in taking the pin, but he's not the legal man. Blah de blah de blah. I do wonder if that actually put people off watching the next night. Because, you know, a story like that, or even prompted them to turn off during, you know, during the actual start of the show. Because, I have, you know, I've watched all, I've watched the episode before, the episode of Raw before, I've watched the show, pay-per-view, and I'm sort of thinking, what the fuck is this? And all the all the bullshit with the lawyer and all of that, it just really, it, it reminded me of, sort of going more recently, it reminded me of the Miz keeping the Money in the Bank briefcase on a technicality because John Morrison was the one to cash it in. And it's like these, while they're kind of like, oh, yeah, that, you know, some people are sitting there, oh, yeah, that's clever. Other people don't want that level of subtlety. It's, it's lost on a lot of people. And let's be fair, wrestling isn't renowned for its subtlety <laughs> in, a, in a lot of aspects, and certainly not in 1995. I, I can imagine this was one of the reasons for the low rating. I can imagine there were a load of people who thought, what's happening on Nitro? And I guess that's the problem if you start with, you know, a bullshit screw job then and you've got competition on the other side yeah and this is and this is and this is where i asked for the this is where for the first time i ask can we blame can the blame lay at bill what's his door for something that he may have only had a limited hand in because while he's the head of creative and at the time and sort of the book stops with him it's his second day on the job how much how much is already set in motion that can't be you know that can't be rectified how much was already in place and he's just got to then make, try and make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Quite possibly. And in the next couple of episodes, there might be a lot of attempts to make uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit. But at the end of the day, I guess he's been paid to take responsibility. So yeah. yeah, it is what it is. So we get the classic riot rooftop of Titan Towers start to Monday Night Raw. which I is, still love that. In, I still love that intro. It's always the best bit of the show, really, isn't it? Yeah. But again, like I said last week, it's um, sorry, last episode, it all the bullshit, goofy shenanigans at the start, badass intro. Yeah. And then you go into Marty Jannetty versus Skip. Well, Marty Jannetty's been away for a while. And there's a few reasons Marty Jannetty's been away for a while. So the first one, he was arrested in February 1994. Uh, he attacked a hotel worker while on the European tour when the hotel worker couldn't connect a phone call to Jannetty's father. So he was let go by WWF. But there may have been an ulterior motive to WWF letting him go because in April 94, we have the trial for Charles Austin. Now, Charles Austin was in a match tagging with um, Lanny Poffow, who later became the genius, against the Rockers in 1990. Charles Austin ended up getting paralysed from a rocker dropper from Marty Gennetti. Uh, initially, the judge awarded... £26.7 million from WWF um, to Charles Austin with Genetti to pay half a million. Um, that actually got negotiated down to £10 million, but it was still sort of a serious event that was going on. And then Genetti is going to spend a bit of time from February 95 to July 95 in ECW before making his return. So quite a few legal issues for Genetti there. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the, uh, about the Charles Austin story, to be honest. I have heard it before. I'd, I'd completely forgotten it was around this time. So yeah, no wonder he's been gone really. And uh, this match didn't really do much for me to uh, to say why you know say oh how great he's back. 
Well, it's funny because when you know they're, they're both coming to the ring or whatever, McMahon and Laura are still talking about how great it was that the uh, tag team championships had changing hands had been overruled. You know, sort of having um, that conversation. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, the hallmark of this episode, the commentary talking about anything else other than what's actually going on. Yeah, it's a recurring it was, thing. Uh, yeah, and it's actually something that again resurfaced in in modern, well, in recent years in WWE, where they're they're either shilling something or talking about what's coming next or talking about what happened before, and not actually doing to me what to me commentary should do, enhancing what's going on in the ring. You know, mention something in passing. At a time, you know, when the, when the match is in a bit of a lull, mention something that's coming up. Mention something that happened. Don't go on for minutes and minutes and minutes while there's two guys. <laughs> Putting on putting on a half decent match, which, yeah. which this was at its best. This was half decent. Yeah, there, there were some good spots in this, and it's quite an entertaining match. And it felt a little bit like perhaps a match you might see on the Indies in terms of the way that they worked the crowd. You yes. had Marty blowing a kiss to Sonny. Lawler's there saying he's going to make Sonny mad. He's probably making half of the uh, roster backstage mad with that. <laughs> it's, it's, had... it's just his number was up. If you believe everything you hear. <laughs> <laughs> like, take, like taking a ticket at a deli counter. Customer number five, please. <laughs> right when I had a gun full of beer, you bastard. That snort was terrible, I apologise. You had a, a brilliant spot where Sonny's shouting at the camera and Ginetti taps her on the back and she thinks it's Skip, so she turns round to hug him and then all of a sudden she realises that it's Ginetti that she's hugging and absolutely yeah. goes ballistic at him. Uh, that was just comedy genius. I, I love that. That, that entertained me. The whole thing with um, with Skip sort of rolling out the ring, going to Sunny for comfort, and all of that. It was sort of for that time. It is a is a it is a decent heel move because there'll be tons of blokes in that arena going, "Oh, why is he rolling out to to all these missions?" You know, giving it all the toxic masculine bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just I'd forgotten just how good Chris Candido Skip could uh, was really. I've not watched. Many of his matches, but I was actually I actually looked into his career leading up to this. Seven months before this match, he was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Seven months. That might say more about where the NWA was at that point in time, perhaps. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's one of those things where if the money's good enough, you're going to go do it. Like you know, I, I work in travel now. If somebody's going to pay me double my wage to go scrub toilets, I'm going to scrub those toilets. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It is all about the hourly rate. But... Yeah, so, you know, fair enough. Yeah. There, was, um, there was more of Lawler's weird commentary, just a smidgen of it. Not quite the Dharma level, but it did imply that Bulldog was going to piss on The Undertaker at the start of this match, when they were going through that phase of talking about anything but the actual wrestling. Um, he said that Bulldog was going to use T- Undertaker as a fire hydrant later on. That's marking his territory. That's what a Bulldog <laughs> does. Yeah, and it also only took him about... It took him about three minutes into the match... To when they weren't talking about what was coming up, uh, to mention that oh by the way, Matty Janetta used to be Shawn Michaels' tag team partner. You like Shawn Michaels, right? You like Shawn Michaels, right? Yeah, the uh, the hard on for Shawn was uh, was very obvious. It's very evident through this show. It really is. We get Dean Douglas um, coming down to ringside, taking some notes. Yeah, that was a nice little bit of uh, sort of foreshadowing, or you know, alluding to what could be happening in the future. Uh, funny enough, Dean Douglas was the NWA champion that preceded Chris Candido. So- <laughs> <laughs> so you've got um, you've got two former NWA champions in the uh, in the opening segment, but the the match itself was was fine. And I've written something down uh, similar to yours. I said it felt like a predecessor to uh, to an, a- an AEW style match, very fast paced. Uh, both Skip and Janetti flying around, 
Yeah, it was. Uh, Skip's tantrum was brilliant as well. It felt it felt like something that uh, remember when Christine was doing the uh, the tantrum gimmick in the early two thousands. Yeah. It felt like something he'd seen and thought, "I can take that further." <laughs> um, Sonny was effective at ringside. Uh, Skip hit one of the best gut wrench power bombs I've ever seen, which uh, which Vince incorrectly called a suplex because the, the commentary, to be honest, was all over the shop on this show. But it just sort of it, it was fine. It was there. That's how it sort of got me, really. Yeah, I've got that it was an average match. It looked like Jeanette had lost a step. There was a bit in commentary where uh, Vince said Jeanette is showing no ring rust, which he clearly was. Yeah. Also, child for ring rust. But it was what it was. It was a decently worked match. And as you say, if you'd seen it on the indies or whatever, you'd have very much enjoyed it. And, and the crowd were really into it, which after the previous week's episode, it's a great thing to see. Yeah, well, it, it was the end of a taping rather than the beginning, uh, was the previous show, so um, that should have been the other way around. This show was the beginning of a taping rather than the end of one. So the crowd have got their energy up. There's a guy sort of returning with like, oh, yeah, he's been away for a little bit. Yay. You know, there was that bit of enthusiasm there. So, yeah, it was, that was all right. I love that. But then the just the next segment just pissed me off because it's more recap of the In Your House main event shenanigans, and it's just like... It, this the the fact that you've had to explain it twice already in the show indicates that it was bullshit. Yeah. And the only good bit so far of all this recap was the time that they gave Clarence Mason because he actually acted and performed that you know performed his role as the lawyer really really well. Yeah, he, he did. He had bags of charisma. It was a good role. It was intense. Perfect casting, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he, he did a good he did a good job in a crazy angle. And, and what more can you say is being given chicken, a room chicken, sal- oh. chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yeah, there, there's no small parts, only small actors. You know, and Clarence Clark, Mason <laughs> grabbed his opportunity and ran with it, you know. So next we've got the WWF Tag Team Championship match that Gorilla Monster oh, straight, straight off the bat. Sorry, I'm, I'm doing it again. I'm interrupting you again, but this time for good reason because I'm pissed off. My pet hates in wrestling. Champions out first. Yeah. Champions out first, Yoko and Owen, and they're against the Smoking Guns. This is a rematch from WrestleMania 11, where Yoko Zuna was Owen Hart's surprise tag team partner, and they won the tag team championships from the Smoking Guns. And as soon as we get um, Yoko and Owen coming out, we're going to cut to an advert to try and sell some merch. Uh, yeah, here we go, shilling. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the shilling is what it is, but then there, there was even more talk about the In Your House main event. And it's just like, I know that's what led to this match, but... Give me a reason. Expand more on the on the WrestleMania 11 link, because I wasn't necessarily I'd forgotten that. You know, give give us the backstory between these two teams, because otherwise I don't have a reason to give a fuck. And they're still advertising in advance for when they're going to do the replay of WrestleMania 11, but they're not giving you more. You know, they could easily give you more reasons to go and watch that replay that's coming up later in the month. But mm. I, I did love the advert with Doc Hendricks. He's there with the. Uh, Lovely Tammy, who's modelling an In Your House t-shirt, which was quite frankly shit. It was white with a black box showing the uh, championship belts and pictures of Diesel, Yoko, Owen and Sean. It was $20 and it's your last chance to get it. And if you buy it now, they're going to throw in a classic WWF VHS. Doc Hendricks holds this up and it looks like a pirate video. There's no cover to it, no label. It probably was. All, all that screams done on the cheap. Well, cheap, cheap T-shirt printing. They've skimped on the designer. They've skimped on the materials. It probably probably dissolve after three washes. 
They can't even be asked putting the video covers on. Fuck, get fucked. I'm not paying that. I won't even pay that now. No, no it, it, did, it did smack of being incredibly cheap, and it did look as if Doc Hendricks had made that video himself at home. Probably did. But there was, it's this commitment to to bad ideas and insisting that they're great. You know, this, what was it, Four, be- four Belts, three... Was it, no, four wrestlers, three three championships, two teams, one winner or something like that. The fact that I've heard that spouted across probably three hours of television, I still can't get it in my head, says a lot. And then, but again, and it's like the two dudes with attitudes thing. It's so painfully out of touch. Yeah, they, they didn't know what cool was at this point. They just didn't get it, did they? Um, but in terms of the match, the um, crowd was invested in it. There was a really big pop when Billy Gunn knocks Yokozuna off his feet. Again, there's a uh, another massive pop when they cut the ring in half and Billy's trying to get tag to bar. That was a really good hot tag. That was one of the better ones you'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And it baffles me how Billy Gunn is still in the same shape now. It's insane, isn't it? He's literally just got a few crow's feet and had a haircut and stopped wearing, and stopped wearing cowboy boots. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Uh, Billy and Owen, when they were in the ring together, were was just magic. At that point, those I could have watched those two wrestle for hours. They were, they were really, really that's that sort of bit really stood out to me. Owen was always sort of doing the heavy lifting in the tag division at this point, but it, it was really good, really good. And it's again, the uh, sorry, I was going to say again, the commentary just let the, let this down throughout the match. Vince at some points was so garbled. And so quick, and just you couldn't. I couldn't even make out what he was saying. It was just a bunch of. It was just like enthusiastic growling, which is in, in direct contrast to how good the commentary was the week before. Yeah, yeah, but Vince could get overexcited, really, couldn't he? That, that was the problem. Yeah, he could. Yeah, I think maybe I'd just forgotten. You know, yeah. forgotten how bad it could be. Um, I did quite like uh, going back to the in-ring stuff. Uh, Yoko Zuna. Missing the elbow and then just going for the big splash and missing them both was was really effective. For a dude his size, he didn't have to throw himself about. And that was the thing about Yoko. He was never sort of afraid to throw himself about like that. And, you know, there would be this couple of seconds where he'd look really quick. And for a guy that size, that can be devastating. Yeah, absolutely. I quite like the whole um, the whole end sequence as well. Just the uh, you know the mal- sort of malfunction at the junction with Yoko and Owen clashing heads. The uh, then the the side suplex top rope leg jo- leg drop Yoko splashing Owen. Yeah, it really worked for me. Billy just launching himself at Yoko just for some reason tickled the piss out of me. It'd be like chucking yourself at a crash mat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a, this was and this was a really enjoyable match. Yeah, it, it was a decent match. Again, Yoko's got his limitations, but I thought this was a lot better than the match they had on the previous episode of Raw against Men on a Mission. It was night and day. Yeah, much better. There was a guy in the crowd with a sign saying, Raw outblasts Nitro. Um, That's what that said. I couldn't quite make it out. I kept having a look, and it's, it is in my notes. So the, fir- the first visible signs on, on Raw that there's, uh, that there's a war brewing. I, I wonder what, how you outblast Nitro. What, in what way does Raw outblast Nitro? And well, we're not watching uh, opposite shows, but... Well, nitroglycerin blasts things. So it's implying that Raw is more explosive than uh, than nitroglycerin. Uh, I thought it was saying that Raw was a better maple pancake milk stout than uh, this nitro that I've got. (laughs) Uh, I doubt it. I think you're having a much better time with that, do you? Yes. Yes, I am. So next, there is an Art Noir video package for Jean-Pierre Lafitte, and it's showing 
sort of mug shots of John Pierre Lafitte and no, we, we've just, missed a bit. We've missed a bit. We? Yeah, we've missed just a little bit. Oh, diesel yes, and did, H- yeah. diesel and HBK HB the diesel and HBK out to celebrate with the guns. There was pyro sounds, but no pyro. Or was that supposed to be gunshots in the uh, in the smoking guns music? Yeah, that was gunshots in the smoking guns music, but. That was shit. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I was just like, what the fuck was that? And I don't fully understand. I know Diesel and HBK are out there to celebrate Yokozuna and Owen losing the titles, but it was just, it just felt like, you know, come on, crowd. Here's you guys. They're here too. Cheer for them. I know it does set something up later on, but it just felt a bit pointless there for a minute. Just trotting out the, uh, trotting out the clothes horse to try and chill some more merch. Yeah, and it's also a bit weird that... The Smoking Guns are tag team champions now, and Diesel and Sean have effectively just been screwed out of the tag team championships, And but they're really happy about it. Yeah, kind of... Smoking Guns beat the guys who fucked us over. Woo. Yeah, that, that doesn't make much, <laughs> doesn't make much and, sense. Uh, yeah, with the, and just moving on to the what you were saying about the Jean-Pierre Lafitte and Bret Hart sort of vignette there. Nicely done. Like, nicely put together the way, it was, uh, the way it was sort of produced and shot. But we're just advertising... They're just advertising matches for the next week's Raw that have been done on pay-per-view already. Granted, not everybody will watch the pay-per-view, but if you did watch it, why are you going to want to watch them again? They were fine, but you know, it just leaves you... It just it actually, weirdly, it, it screams out that they've got a lack of ideas and a lack of creativity. Well, that's the glass half-empty side of it, and I'd be inclined to believe that's the truth. One thing that I did wonder was, was Bill Watts in his episodic style of writing television, thinking I'm going to move these stories slowly along, sort of iteratively have things happening. So, you know, repeating those matches. That's kind of the positive way of looking at that. But I think it's more, I've just turned up, it's my first day, I know these two have had a rivalry, let's stick them in again. And it could could even be, I know what happened in your house, I've I've been told the backstory, I'm resetting it. With another awesome. match, yeah, it could it could even be you know it could be what's looking to uh, looking to redirect everything. Maybe we shall see. We shall see. So the next segment we've got Doc Hendricks and he's with Gorilla Monsoon, and Gorilla's announcing that in your house four there'll be the Undertaker versus King Mabel, and that's going to be a rematch of the quarterfinal of the King of the Ring. And Doc Hendricks says a match you might consider a train wreck. Is this the best way to promote? Match is going forward for the pay-per-view. I completely zoned out at this point. I don't remember him saying that, but that's terrible. That, that, is, that is literally <laughs> terrible. Uh, well, and then the he thing, says, the thing that, is, it's all in the delivery. Hearing that in, in my head, in Doc Hendricks's voice, completely turns me off it. It's like, it's like shut the fuck up. If Mean Gene Oakland did it, the way he delivers his lines, it'd fit. That felt like a Gene Oakland line being delivered by Doc Hendricks. If that makes any sense. <laughs> well, to me, watching it, it felt like Doc Hendricks shitting on the idea. Well, yeah, that's him. <laughs> that's Getting away him. with it. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's just... But again, it's another part of the show that's looking forward, which is fine. You've got to have these things. But so much of the show's been spent looking backwards. Now we're looking forwards. What? Pick one. <laughs> pick, pick, pick them. Do them at different times. Don't do one consistently and... It, it just fit. This whole thing just felt all over the shop. Yeah. And Gorilla's going to continue. He's going to announce that Goldust is going to make his in-ring debut at In Your House 4. That's the point I perked. That's a moment that I perked. It was like, oh, Goldust's coming in. Sweet. Obviously, I know the, obviously we know the character now. 
But even just looking at him back then in '95, you're looking at him, what the fuck is he? What's this? What's this business that's going on? You know? Yeah, I, I seem to remember them running vignettes for him um, for quite a long time before the debut. Mm. It's like this weird character. I mean, they'd often do that with characters um, in those days. They sometimes do it in the new product, uh, and it, it's often a good way. And sometimes you can overdo it, like WCW did with Glacier when they. I will not hear a bad word said about Glacier. Oh, but I popped when he came out for the uh, Ring of Honor Rumble a few years ago. <laughs> oh, uh, actually, I, a few years back, I went back and watched like '97 WCW because I'd never seen it. I was never a WCW watcher. It just I didn't know how to access it back at the time. And I was looking at it, watching Glacier, thinking eight-year-old me would have fucking loved this. It's it's one of those things we've said about trying to tie into the culture at the time, and that's trying to tie into things like Mortal Kombat and stuff. So there's a reason to have it, you know, it makes sense. And if you're trying to sell wrestling figures, I'm sure you'd get a lot more buy-in from the average child who's just wanting an action figure of Glacier than you would necessarily of Kevin Sullivan. Hey, there's a new Mortal Kombat movie coming out. Glacier could be in line for a return. Could well be. Could well be. I hope so. So then Gorilla Monsoon goes on to announce the British Bulldog is going to face Diesel for the WWF Championship. And... As well as this, Bret Hart is going to face whoever wins, assuming they're still champion, at Survivor Series. So even further into the future. Um, that as well, I've zoned out again. There's also going to be an Intercontinental Championship match at In Your House for Shawn Michaels versus Dean Douglas, which is a little bit weird because Dean Douglas has been out there scouting Marty Jannetty, although maybe Dean Douglas is clever enough to uh, know that he plays like Shawn Michaels. It's like football friendlies when... <laughs> you play a nation that plays the same sort of way as Scotland if you've got Scotland uh, coming up in the qualifiers. <laughs> could be, could be. Uh, it's another weird one, though, because um, it didn't really feel like Dean Douglas was... Uh, was Who did he wrestle in your house three? I know who was there. Was it the IC title match? Oh. I know he wrestled Razor's money. It didn't feel like that was quite done. Obviously, Razor's going on to one, two, three, kid. Yeah. Yeah, it did feel like there were so, some storylines were just being repeated and some were just being dropped and off onto the next thing very yeah, quickly. Yeah, I think that was one that was abandoned. Which perhaps is a sign that there's a, there is a new creative direction. Could be. Now, we've taken quite a while to get through this announcement, but Gorilla Monsoon did this in about 30 seconds. It was just bam, bam, bam. And that, that's why I paid as much attention to it as Vince's commentary. Yeah. <laughs> it was just bang, 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 and I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll catch up later. <laughs> Um, so the next match is the British Bulldog with Jim Cornette versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. I was looking forward to this. On paper, what a great match. They didn't wrestle on paper, though, did they, Dan? No. But I still quite liked it, weirdly. It was all I right. Think, it was a... I think it's just pure, to be honest, I think it's just pure, uh, I think it's rose-tinted glasses for me with, bull, with both Bulldog and Taker. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. You know, the, the two iconic characters and... To see Bulldog when he's sort of getting a push. Mm. You know, he's just done double duty at In Your House 3. He's in the title match at In Your House 4. You know, they've clearly got plans for him. And you, um, know, I love, you know I love a, a Hoss match, especially when it's two big athletic guys like that. Yeah. If only we could have subbed the Undertaker out for the wall, are they? Uh, <laughs> One thing I will say, I did like uh, Undertaker's uh, ring gear that seemed to have been inspired by Dark Fruits. Uh, 20 years before it was even a thing. It's a shame he didn't get a sponsorship. He, it would have fit in very well. Again, you've got Laurel on commentary saying that um, he's thinking that the um, Undertaker's going to put the Bulldog in a pet cemetery. 
Topical. That's something that happened. One thing I liked about this match is Bulldog pulled The Undertaker off the top rope when he was trying to do old school. Yes, yeah, that's one of the things I picked up on as well, which was great. And the way Taker sort of launched himself off as well as Bulldog's obviously, Bulldog's obvious strength, it just looked really good. And, you know, you know he never he didn't even get a step in. It, it was fantastic. And uh, Bulldog hit one of the cleanest power drivers I've ever seen. Yeah. That yeah. was just fantastic. It, well, it did, a lot of it felt like Taker's greatest hits before they were his greatest hits. Yeah, I know what you mean. There was a brilliant spot where The Undertaker grabs Jim Cornette by the throat and Jim Cornette throws a squash racket up in the air and it just goes spinning about seven times before it comes down. <laughs> Superb. Yeah. Yeah, um, then we good. get um, Mabel and Moe looking on from the aisle way, trying to build up to that uh, in-your-house far match. And for some random reason, uh, Waylon Mercy is at the back of the crowd trying to watch yeah, the match. It cut to him, and I wasn't convinced that it wasn't a mannequin. It could have been a mannequin, or it could just have been the best seat that Will and Mercy could get. Yeah, <laughs> not quite making, uh, not making main event money yet. No, no, he wasn't. There was, I, a, I didn't... there was actually there was a, a really good, uh, sorry, there was a really good rest in peace chance uh, from the crowd was uh, Bulldog was working Taker over, and then when Car- when there's a double down, Cornet's trying to motivate Taker, uh, motivate Bulldog. You know, tapping up, you know, smacking on the apron to get him to G him up. And that just prompts the crowd into another rest in peace chant. That's just yeah. great work by Cornet. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Although I do always think it's a bit weird when the crowd are chanting rest in peace. Yeah. Just a bit of a weird sentiment. But yeah, the, the way Cornet worked um, uh, was great. Uh, so we end up with Mabel getting in the ring and he slams Taker and um, obviously Taker wins by disqualification. Bulldog and Mabel attack Taker. Then we get Diesel and Shawn Michaels running in for the save. Then Yoko and Owen come out. And then the Smoking Guns come out to even up the odds. And, and, among, and amongst it all, you've got Mike Kyoda, mullet and all, giving it the big un. If that's the thing you took from this, then you're missing something serious because the Smoking Guns were covered in a mysterious white liquid. They just got out of the shower. Quite possibly. So then we go to an advert for WrestleMania 11, as we've uh, said before. They're uh, playing that later on in the month, so trying to get people to watch that. And then we're back for a very short time before commercial break, almost as if they've realised that something looks wrong. And Vince McMahon just explains that the white substance is soap, and then they go to commercial. <laughs> they do, and it's uh, and there's the Got Milk ad. Got Milk, back again. And then we get one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Vince McMahon dancing in his chair while trying to hide his erection. Oh, when they were playing... And the dollar, and the dollar signs in his eyes. Oh, God. That, that was just cringeworthy, wasn't it? It was traumatising. It, but it's, it's another week and another terrible end to the show. Like the, yeah. week, the week before, we had um, you know, Lawler giving his royal pro- proclamation. Oh, actually, I should have gone with what I was going to misspeak originally, proclamation. Um, and, but it's just you know HBK dancing, but it looks and it looks like HBK and Diesel are coming back to the ring. It looks like they've just got back in, so Sean can dance on the turnbuckle for Vince. It was the like the of... drinking game. This you know every time Sean and Diesel <laughs> on this show have been taking a shot. I've gone through. I've gone through ten cans in forty-five minutes. Yeah. So then they play highlights from the Indy Free House match between Razor Ramon and Dean Douglas, showing Bob Backlund uh, distracting the referee. It's building up. Obviously, that rivalry for the one-two-three kid and Razor Ramon. Jerry Lawler sows the seeds that the one-two-three kid might be negotiating with the million-dollar man. And Vince McMahon questions if that's the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. 
Who the fuck else would it be, Vince? Which other million dollar man might it be? Oh, God. Yeah, this was um, this was Chris Kamara levels of not paying attention. There's been a red card. That's the Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> million dollar man. Ted DiBiase. Who the fuck do you think? Jesus yeah. Christ. No, the six million dollar man would bring... <laughs> we're bringing in Steve Austin in. Just not in WCW. Yeah. yeah. It was just, yeah, the, the end just wasn't good. This whole sort of show was decent in the ring for the most part, but just let down by almost everything else around it. It kind of it go, it was sort of on the goofy attitude era scale that we mentioned last time. This was yeah. way more on the goofy side, coming off in your house and, you know, all the shenanigans and, and the sort of convoluted nature of everything. It just, it just wasn't good, but it kind of goes back to the sort of theory that we were on about where the least important part of the wrestling is the wrestling. Oh, yeah. As well, the, the in-ring was solid. Everything around it let it down. And the most important part of the wrestling is selling those T-shirts, because while Vince McMahon's there trying to advertise uh, Bret Hart and Jean-Pierre Lafitte next week, Shawn Michaels throws a T-shirt on him. Vince is upset for a moment, then he realises it's the golden boy that does it, and he's got a shit-eating grin on his face. And the... <laughs> and then T-shirt disappears mysteriously under the desk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was not, um, I was not left enthused to watch, um, you know, to watch the following show, even though it's not part of what we're going to do. But you know, like we did with with the first episode that we looked at, we then went off and watched In Your House Three. Yeah, I, I couldn't give a shit about watching the next Raw now. It's funny though because. I thought the go-home show for In Your House 3 was quite poor, although I was intrigued by some of the matches, and especially mm. maybe because of that Cornet promo about the um, championship, you know, all the championships on the line, how historic it was. You know, it did feel like it that did was sell it. Whole thing. But the actual show itself wasn't a great go-home show. And in terms of this show, you know, in terms of sort of the overall review, you know, I, I agree with you that there were enjoyable matches on the show, more enjoyable than the previous week. The crowd was really into it. There was some really good stuff, but then you have things like overturning the tag team match result, which mm. was just bullshit, which would have pissed people off. And there were so many areas of improvement for the show where they could have just done something a little bit better, and, and it would mm. have felt like a much better show. Yeah, underwhelming. Yeah. So... In terms of rating the show out of 10, just to give you a benchmark, the community vote on Cage Match is 6.7 out of 10 for this week. So, Fuck me, really? Yeah, well, it is. It is. And what, so what do you think it is, Dan? Well, going through the five factors just very quickly, uh, the matches I actually gave sort of a 6.5 to a 7. They did, they did mostly did well with the time they had. Um, particularly the main event, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of match anyway. And despite the finish, I still enjoy, I still enjoyed it for what it was. So obviously, it's a circumstantial seven out of ten. <laughs> the promos, you know, all, the promos were sort of non-existent. It was all either shilling merch or hyping in your house. You know, either the one previously or the one next. Um, so I gave that a three. The production around it, same, same again, three. Just did nothing for me. Storyline aspect, there wasn't much. There was hardly anything new. You know, Dean Douglas, okay, revisiting Mabel and Undertaker, fine. Looking ahead to Bulldog getting a championship match, fine. But just the only thing that really was sort of, was really gripping was the smoking guns taking the tag belts. So I'll give it a four. And the, the fan response, it was pretty good. 
it was all right. It wasn't anything special. So that's a five star average. Looking at that, averaging it out, it gets a four out of ten off me. Wow. You've really put me to shame, though, because you've gone and broken down all the categories that we discussed last week, and <laughs> I'm just going to give it an overall rating, and I'm just going to give it a rating on my gut feel of the show, and I do think it was better than last week, and I gave last week a five, so I'm going to give this week a six, just because I did enjoy it more. I thought there were signs that things were moving in the right direction, if that makes sense, in, ter- in terms mm. of the enjoyability of the show there seemed to be far less Jerry Lawler bullshit this week, I don't know if he'd been there was far less Jerry Lawler bullshit but that just meant there was far more Vince McMahon jabbering bullshit <laughs> that's fair that's fair, so if we go on to the awards section of the show, who would you give match of the night to? in my incredibly biased personal taste, uh, Bulldog versus Taker despite the finish yeah. Just sucker for, I've said it three times already, or, or two or three times already. Sucker for a horse match, two big agile dudes beating each other up. Yeah, give me that every day. Take his greatest hits. Absolutely sign me up. I even like I even like the beat down to take by the heels after. That yeah. that bit was actually was actually decent. Yeah, with the uh, the mysterious substance smoking guns. Liquid coke. Yeah, I, I'm actually giving uh, my match of the night to the pre-Mysterious Substance Smoking Guns versus Yoko and Owen. I thought it was a decent uh, tag match. And that's the, one I, that's the one I'd give it to if I wasn't being a biased knobhead. Yeah, I, <laughs> the, hot, the hot tag was great. It yeah. was. The, the way they cut the ring in half, kept Billy in there. When Bart finally got in there, the crowd absolutely popped. Who would you give MVP of the night to? Clarence Mason for delivering the only... Genuinely well acted, believable performance of the show. <laughs> oh, that's 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 fair. No, it, it, never mind maximizing his minutes; he maximized his seconds. He did, and I respect he that. He really did. And if anything, there was this whole crazy angle, but they were establishing Clarence Mason as sort of an important character. He already gave in those few seconds he was on the screen. He actually gave it legitimacy. Yeah. The way he questioned, the way the, the way he played it, the way he delivered those lines, it felt legit. It felt like he was interrogating, or you know, it felt like he was in a courtroom, even though it was just them. <laughs> that was just them in the room, and there was no judge, but they insisted it was a courtroom. Yeah, no, it, it was very enjoyable. Uh, my MVP of the night, and this is no reflection on his current conduct or recent things he's said, but I'm going to give it to Marty Gennetti, just because I felt that he was one of the elements that kind of made the show fun. Yeah, I can see that. He, he did get a decent. Uh, he did get the crowd going a bit to start off the show hot and start off the taping hot as well. It's uh, that that sort of opening spot's a big um, a big responsibility. You have to, you know, if the opening match flops, everybody else is just going to go, oh well, this is going to be great then. So yeah, I can see why he went for Marty. There, there was nothing. There was nothing wrong with that match uh, that him and uh, him and Skip put on. It was uh, you know it was decent. So yeah, understandable. The re- um, interactions with uh, Sonny were great as well. But the three yeah. of them together uh, pulled off. Um, some really good sort of comedy spots or whatever. Yeah, I don't think actually. To be fair, I don't think we didn't really talk enough about uh, talk much about Sunny in the uh, when we were actually looking at the match. See, she did she did a fantastic job actually. Um, just what little we saw of her, you know, like the whole playing to the camera thing, uh, being a gobshite on the outside, going for the trip. It was it was a, it was a good manager's performance all around from Sunny. Yeah, it definitely was. Definitely was. 
I don't know if she'd get manager of the night, though, just because of how many rotations Cornette got on that squash racket when... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is the mullet of the night. Mullet of the night. I was tempted by Mike Kyoda. I was sorely tempted. But my mullet of the night goes to Billy Gunn because he's not aged in 26 years, as we said before. He's just had a haircut. And it was, it was it was a good, solid mullet from both of them, really. But Billy just takes it. Billy just had that little bit more length in the back and a little bit more up top. What about yours? Good choice. I'm going to go for Shawn Michaels. Um, Shawn is always there or thereabouts on any, any mullet. Have, was that a mullet at this point, or did he just have his hair tied back? No, I think I think it was a mullet at this point. I think it was. I'm, I'm counting it. It might, be, you know, it might be the next episode where he's just he's given up on the mullet and he's just tying hair back. Ah, uh, but there may be a different winner for Mullet of the Night after the next episode. There might be. There might be. Who knows? Who knows? But, yeah, just going back on this one, I know I, I obviously dislike this out of the two of us, but for me, this this rating felt compl- felt appropriate. <laughs> Maybe maybe not maybe not record low territory because you know the actual the actual in ring action was good, but I can certainly see why it dropped from the week before and, and following off the uh, the pay per view. I think if you can get through the first five minutes, it's better. But I think a lot of people would have lost faith with it within the first five minutes. Is the mm. problem? And then if they've recorded it or something, I suppose they maybe thought to come back because as you gave the rundown earlier, what's very quickly jumped back up to was it two point five the, the following week and then. 2.6, yeah. 2.6. Yeah. So exactly. maybe maybe in the minority, there must have been something there to keep people coming back, or maybe it was people just thinking, oh, I'll give Raw another chance. Well, maybe the decisions made in the first five minutes, maybe they always think they're going to go with Raw, but if there's something wacky on, on at the start, then uh, we're heading off to Nitro. Could be. Could, Could be. be. Could be. So, Dan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at DanGriffin21, uh, and you can also hear me on... Uh, the- that nineties wrestling podcast at nineties wrestling pod, where I'm part of the uh, part of the monthly pay per view review team with your good self, James, Mags, and Paul Tolly. You can find me as well, obviously at uh, UTT podcast as was discussed, and UTT Rob. Uh, more than happy to follow anyone back that's uh, crazy enough to follow me. Same here, always willing to follow back. And next week we'll be going to Bill Watts's last episode, which is also his highest rated episode. So you can find that in the same place you found this episode. Catch you next time. Did you not state that for last night's purposes, that the referee's decision was final in the match? Did you not state that, Mr. Monsoon? No, Mr. Monsoon. Did you or did you not state that the referee's decision was final? I did. Thank you, Mr. Monsoon. And did you not also state that the British Bulldog was a tag team champion along with Yokozuna last night? Did you not state well, that as well? Well, there were extenuating circumstances No, 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 in front of millions of people all around the country, Mr. Monsoon. Did you not state that?